hope and love and faith in Jesus. And God, that, that as the Word of God says, that Jesus, you said in the last days and the end times that men's hearts will fail them from fear. And yet, God, that's not a prediction for those that put their trust in you. And so, Lord, we put our trust in you. Lord, I pray, Jesus, that you would encourage us and show us that, Father, during this time that you're going to take care of us. And, Lord, no matter what happens to us, if we're ready for your return and we're ready for eternity and we've made our peace with God, that we win. Lord, we win. If we survive and, and, and things go back to normal, we win. And, and, and Lord, that we just can't lose. The worst case scenario and this were to take us home, we win. To be home in the body, to be home present with you, absent from the body and present with the Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you, God. We ask your grace and your mercy. I pray, Father, for this encouragement today through your word that we can trust you in all these areas. And God, we love you and we thank you and praise you. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in a couple different places today. Let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'd like to welcome our online audience to everybody today. So a uh, new kind of deal for us all being online. And uh, so welcome to all of our online audience. 1 Corinthians 13 is where we're going to start. My message today is entitled Faith, Hope, and Love. You guys say that with me? Faith, hope, and love. And so we're going to see today three different stories that I found in the life of Jesus that are going to demonstrate times when the apostles and different folks put their faith, their hope, and their love in Jesus. And so what, what we want to do as a church is encourage and, and to be a people that put our faith, our hope, and our love in Jesus. Now, these verses that I'm going to point out today, we're going to look at Jesus walking on the water. We're going to see Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And, and, um, and then Jesus saying in Matthew, to come to me all who are labor and heavy laden. And these aren't necessarily the staples for faith, hope, and love, but I found faith, hope, and love in each three of them. We want to share that today. Now, now, God forbid any of us would actually get the coronavirus and we would be carriers. But I want to tell you whether you get the coronavirus or you don't get the coronavirus, that you are, in fact, a carrier. Amen? Not of the coronavirus, but you carry something. You have something that is a part of you that's who you are, that you carry with you everywhere you go. And listen, for us as, as Christ followers, it's super important for us in the world right now that what we carry, here's the question, what you carry is, is it contagious? What you carry, would it be good if somebody else got it? Amen. And if we carry, and if we're carriers of faith, hope, and love, we want people to catch that. We want people to catch the hope in Jesus. Now, I grew up, and there were some people in my circle, and they were dealers. And I don't know how well that worked out for you. We're not dealers anymore, but now we deal something different. Now we're hope dealers, not dope dealers. And we want to deal that hope and we want to spread that hope. But what we have, no, no matter where you are, you're contagious with something. And, and again, we want to spread that. We want to spread that love of Jesus. And it's important. There's lots of people out there who are, who are, who are carriers of fear. And they want, to, they want to carry fear. And we don't want to spread that. The, the Bible says that, that we've not been given a spirit of fear, but that of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, we can be cautious, and you can be very cautious in your dealing and, and in your approach to the coronavirus. But caution and dealing fear are two different things. So be cautious without dealing fear. Amen? And how do we do that? 
we find hope in Jesus. That, that even in worst case scenario, Jesus is going to be there for us. That the Bible says that Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we need to encourage folks in that. And I really believe that this is a great awakening. It's a great wake-up call for our nation and for our world. It's a great opportunity. Can we ever think of another time such as this? And all, obviously not in our lives, but maybe in human history, every church in America today emptied out. What would cause every church in America, you know, a year ago if I told you that today there wouldn't be a soul in church in all of America? You'd say, no way. What in the world could possibly cause that? And yet here we are. And yet here we are. But, you know, the church is not a building. The church is a people. And we are the church. So let's look at our scriptures. Um, title of the message, again, Faith, Hope, and Love. And we're going to look at three examples of faith, hope, and love. Again, these aren't the staples, the biblical staples of faith, hope, and love. They're just some things that I pointed out that I, that I recognized in these stories that I want to share with you about faith, hope, and love. This first one is not a part of those three stories. It's just the foundation for the faith, hope, and love message. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mystery and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nada. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail, and whether there are tongues, they will cease, and whether there are knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child and I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. So let's begin with faith, and I want to point out some faith in John chapter 3. So um, very, very familiar uh, passage. One thing that I often tell our church is that, you know, we know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But I often ask this question. In John chapter 3, as with all the other places in the Bible when we know these quotes from Jesus, in, in real time, in Jesus' life, he was actually speaking to somebody in John chapter 3. And for your trivia 101, who was Jesus speaking to in John chapter 3? A guy by the name of Nicodemus. And so we call him Nick at night because he came to Jesus at night because he didn't want the public to see him coming to Jesus and he didn't want to mess with his social status. So Nick at night comes to Jesus and Jesus tells him something very important that I want to tell you all today. He said, you must be born again. And I often point out that when Jesus uses the word must, it's very important. It's, it's very serious. It's emphasis. Jesus says must. 
He doesn't say you should or you could or you might or you, you, you'd be a good idea. He says you must be born again. I told you about the pastor, right, who every Sunday, because of the emphasis on the fact that if you want to go to heaven, Jesus said you must be born again to go to heaven. And because of this great emphasis on the people and the people needing to know that if you want to go to heaven, you have to be born again. And so this pastor every Sunday would come to his congregation and somewhere in his sermon in his day, he would tell his church week after week after week, you must be born again. You must be born again. And finally, this little boy gets just so tired of every week the pastor saying you must be born again. He corners him and he says, pastor, how come every single week you tell us we must be born again? And the pastor thinks, you know, about it and contemplates it. And he looks at the young man and he says, well, that's because, young man, because you must be born again. And so in this context, Nicodemus is trying to understand what does Jesus mean? He even asked like a silly question, but it was an honest question from Nicodemus because Jesus said, you must be born again. He said, like, I imagine his face was twisted and his, however that looked. And he said, what, what do you mean? Do I, can I, how can I crawl back into my mother's womb and be born again? What, is, what are you talking about? And, and along these, this question of, of what does it mean to be born again or how can I be born again, we get John 3.16. But what's so powerful is that if you look at it, John 3.15 and 3.17 and 3.36 are, are just as important and powerful in this chapter. So um, in verse number 9 of John chapter 3, it's Nicodemus's question, how can these things be? Now an honest question. And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Listen, verse 14, this is the key that I wanted to point out. I kept saying 15, forgive me, my highlight is actually John 3:14, And it says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, for God so loved the world, John 3.16. So Jesus, in response to Nicodemus, and how can a man be born again, Jesus goes way back in history, thousands of years back in history, to a time when the nation of Israel left Egypt, and they're wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. And during that time of wandering, Jesus brings them to this real event in human history that required amazing faith for them to be healed. And here's our faith part of the story is that part of becoming born again and being a believer in Jesus Christ is we have to put our faith in him. We have to believe in Jesus. You know, as a child, I, I have this vision of faith like standing on the edge of a cliff and looking at a, at a mile drop. And God saying, take a step. And that if you take a step, I'll be there for you. And then as you take a step, a rock, a step appears in front of you. But it never will appear until you first take the step. And as you walk with God in this, in this, in this cliff, as you take a step, God shows up. You take another step, God shows up. All the way through the Bible, right? The same idea. That your faith comes first. You put your faith in Jesus. People say, if I could intellectually understand God and if I could figure it out in my mind, then I would believe. 
And God says, no, you believe first. You put your faith and trust in a living, holy God. And then God begins to spiritually reveal things to you. You must be born again first because the things of God, listen, they're spiritually discerned. You know, dead people, they don't read too well. Dead people don't understand too well. So until you're alive in Christ, things and concepts of God may just, and they will not make sense. And our first step is to place our faith in God. You know, it seems like a simple thing, but I love that in the very powerful scripture of John 3:16, the whole context is Jesus telling Nicodemus that a part of becoming born again is faith and ridiculous faith, a weird kind of story. Let's look at it in Numbers 21. In Numbers 21, in verse number five, it says, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no toilet paper and no hand sanitizer. And our soul loathes this worthless manna. And there's no water. And we're starving. And we have no provision. Why did you take us out of Egypt? Are you not going to take care of us? We'd rather be back in Egypt, they said. And it was sin. It was sin in the nation of Israel not to trust God. Do you realize that? Did you catch that? That, that, Listen, uh, look at at verse 7. And therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. We have sinned. Now what was the sin? They didn't go to a party and do this and that, the things we think of, debauchery and all those things. What was their sin? They came to Moses and they said, God's not going to provide for our needs. And then God sends serpents through the land and they confess that, that their lack of trusting God was sin. God's going to show up in our lives. Listen, God is going to be there for you. God is going to take care of you. God is going to speak to you. God will never leave you nor forsake you. You know one thing that's really, really clear in the Bible? Is that as as a child of God, that we are not appointed to wrath. You know, we're going to. The Bible says you're going to face trials and tribulations. And the whole Bible is full of, of God's people who faced hard things, trials and tribulations. But let me be very clear. There's a huge difference between the trials and tribulations that we're facing currently as a nation, as a world, and the wrath of God. Those are two separate things. You have not even begun to see the wrath of God. When the wrath of God begins in Revelation chapter 6, the first thing that happens chronologically in the book of Revelation and the great tribulation is the four horsemen of the apocalypse ride. By the time the four horsemen of the apocalypse ride, one-third of the world's population has been decimated with disease and famines and wars and and pestilence and the things. One-third of the world's population. That's a difference between the the daily struggles that we're going to go through. And we're going to go through daily things. God's intended that for us. Look at the Apostle Paul's life. He struggled. And and yet he said, you know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he said, I count not my life dear to me. My life is, is to God. I live to God. And everything I go through is for God and in God. And I long to be home with Jesus. But in the meantime, there's work for me to do here. And so the very nation of Israel here in our story in Numbers, they're, they're, they, they've sinned against God just by not believing that he was going to provide the very necessities of life. Toilet paper and hand sanitizer. That's the things we need. Just kidding. It was food and water. But we have plenty of food and water. My fridge, my fridge has never been stocked more than it is right now. 
how you've been to the grocery store a couple times. We buy what we need. She buys like a week's worth of meals. And, and I told the boys, you guys, okay, listen, right now you have to eat leftovers. So whatever we make, we'll make a couple dinners. And then if it's in there, you're hungry, you have to eat leftovers. We ran out of milk and we couldn't find milk a couple days ago. Now we have milk. We found milk since, but we had no milk in the house. Lydia went to four different stores. She waited in the line 45 minutes to buy a half gallon of like, I don't know what it was, coconut milk or something. And so we told the boys, no cereal, you know, eat leftovers. And since then, we've, we've found milk and those things. By the way, church family, if any of our church family has need of any necessities, of, of toilet paper, of food, um, we've been advertising, we've posted the church's phone number online, that if you have need, please contact us. And so I started getting phone calls. And every time the phone rang after I advertised, hey, we're here to help you, the person on the other end of the line didn't say, hey, I, I, I need help. What they said was, hey, I have supplies. If, you, if your church needs help, if anybody in our body has need of anything, please call me. And I got four different people that told me this same exact thing. And so I haven't got a call yet for anybody asking for toilet paper or help or anything. I'm down to about 12 rolls, so I might be the first one that's calling for toilet paper. But um, if you do have need, we have folks in our church that want to serve. They have extra, and they said, Pastor Chris, if people contact the church and they need help, let me know. We want to give. We have food. We have meat. We have toilet paper. And so I just want to, again, put that out there. Our church phone number is listed on our web on our website and also on our Facebook page. So um, just call the church line, and we'll be happy to assist you if you need help in that. So in, in the story here now, the people sinned. And it says in verse um, um, 6, So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and as many of the people Israel died. And therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if, the serp, if anyone had been bitten by the coronavirus, all they had to do was look upon the bronze serpent and they lived. So Moses erects, erects this brass pole in the middle of town, the middle of camp, and, and, he, and he intertwines a, a serpent around it. You guys have seen this symbol all over. Every ambulance pretty much has this medical symbol on the side of the ambulance in the hospital. It's, it's fascinating, right, that, that our medical industry still to this day uses this symbol. But this is where it comes from. It comes from Numbers 21 in the story of the Israelites. And, and, and when they were bitten by these serpents, they were going to die. And they were in their tents and they came to Moses. They confessed that their lack of trusting God was, and their lack of faith was sin. And Moses prayed and God said, okay, put up the serpent and, and those that look upon it will be healed. And so a guy is dying. He, he's symptomatic of, of, of all the things that went with this serpent bite. And maybe he has to crawl or maybe he's just deadly ill. And he goes out and he puts his faith in God and does what Moses says. And he simply looks at the serpent, the brass pole, and he becomes healed. Crazy story. But what is it? It's absolutely just a picture of our faith in Jesus. And it doesn't make any sense. Like you're, you're sick, but you haven't been serpent bitten. And no matter what your, your, your symptoms are, you are sick with sin. You can thank Adam and Eve for that. You've been born with a sin nature. It doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you human. And you must be born again because you've been born once and you have to be born again to go to heaven. 
That's what Jesus taught. And how do I become born again? By faith, by looking at Jesus upon the cross and believing that Jesus died on a cross and rose again, believing in my heart, confessing with my mouth, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10. And so we see this, this kind of weird story of faith. You know, just a little side note, this, this brass serpent, it tells us as the Bible, the Old Testament history goes on, the nation of Israel is now established in the land. They've crossed over the Jordan and they've kept this brass symbol. Well, well many of the Israelites began to worship it because of the, the healing power that it had. And it had nothing to do with the brass pole. It had everything to do with the faith that it took to believe God for something that was crazy. Just to look at a pole. Do you imagine there was one grumpy old guy in a tent somewhere who had been bitten by a serpent? And his grandson or his granddaughter comes in all excited and they say, Grandpa, Moses put a pole outside to do is go look at it and you'll be saved. You'll go to heaven. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus and believe that he died on a cross and rose again the third day. And that today he ever lives to make intercession for you. And this grumpy old man in his tent is, is, is serpent bit and he's, and he's, what do you mean go look at a pole? I'm dying here. I need medicine. I need an antibiotic. I need a, what is it, the sermon when you get bit by a snake? The anti-venom. I'm not going to go look at some dumb pole. That don't make no sense. How's that going to save me? And maybe he died because of his lack of faith. Because of his lack of his lack of intellectually being able to believe. Maybe he was a doctor. Maybe he was a scientist. And, and with the mind of a doctor or a scientist, he couldn't believe that simply by looking at a pole in faith that God would heal him. And our world's going to struggle with that to this day, right? Too many of us, your mind is the, the biggest problem, your intellect. Because your intellect gets in the way and you just don't understand how just by believing in Jesus and putting your faith in Jesus, you're going to be saved. But that's what the Bible teaches. And I love that Jesus goes back to this story to illustrate that in, in John 3.16. Now go back to John chapter 3. And it says that um, <clears throat> verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in Jesus is not condemned, but he who does not believe in Jesus is condemned already. Listen, Jesus doesn't need to condemn you. Paul tells us this in Romans. It's not Jesus who condemns. Rather, he ever lives. He sits at the right hand of the Father and he ever lives to make intercession for you. He's not condemning you. He's in heaven right now praying for you. Jesus is not standing in heaven, you know, stroking his beard, waiting to see who he could strike with lightning. He's interceding for you on behalf of the Father praying for you. But, but the Bible says here in, in John, there's no need for God to condemn you. There's no need for Jesus to condemn you. You're condemned already by your sins. But if you believe in Jesus, that he'll take those sins away from you. And the world met in verse 19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You know, the bottom line, why people don't believe, it's not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. The issue is, it says here, they love the darkness. And they, they, they think that if they put their faith in Jesus, that they can't continue to do the things that they love to do. And it's just not true. God will give you the desires of your heart, the Bible says. God will do the things in your life that you want to be done. Verse 20, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So yeah, why would I come to the light? You know how they empty the bar out at two in the morning right after last call? 
really simple. They just turn the lights on. And then everybody sees the filth and all the stuff that's going on, and they're like, I'm out of here, you know? Really simple. Just turn the lights on. Expose the darkness, and, 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 they, and they leave. Look at verse 36 of John chapter 3. And he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Somebody say amen. Online, if you're on Facebook, type it, amen. Let me read it one more time. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Do you believe in the Son? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. Pray with me on Facebook, wherever you are. If you want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart, I want you to pray this prayer with me. It's a prayer of faith. In Acts chapter 16, Paul tells the Philippian jailer, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. In Romans, Paul says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. That God, that he died on a cross and rose again the third day. So I want to lead you in a simple prayer to go and look at that pole in the wilderness and be healed of your sin, of your serpent bite, which is the sin nature that we were born with. So pray with me, if you will, all over online. And then if you do pray and you ask Jesus in your heart, I just want you to type a little something in the thing so we can respond. Say, uh, what are we going to say? Saved or yes or prayed. How about that? I prayed. I prayed to ask Jesus in my heart. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose again the third day. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to be born again by faith, by looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was put before him despised the cross, endured the shame, and ever lives at the right hand of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you if you prayed that prayer and you meant it. If the Holy Spirit has touched your life, the Bible says that the angels in heaven right now are rejoicing over one sinner who got saved. Jesus said he left the 99 to go after the one because of his great love. And he's brought you home. And now you're a child of God. And there's no more fear. So that's our faith section. Let's look at another story. We're going to go to um, Matthew verse four, or chapter 14. Turn with me, if you will, there. And in this story, we're going to try to find hope. Hope in Jesus. And so again, faith, hope, and love. And in Matthew 14... In verse 22, it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had, when he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray, and evening had come, and he was alone there. Now listen, I want you to um, look at this this. Immediately, Jesus made, in verse 22, that word made there in your Bible, does it have a little one over the top of it? Okay. Um, it says in the margin, invited or strongly urged. So in other words, he compelled. He, it was strong language, the word made there. It's even like the word must in John 3.16. It's strong language. And he made the disciples get into the boat. Now, I want to ask you a question. When he made the disciples get into the boat, did Jesus know that they were going into a storm? Absolutely. Did the storm catch Jesus by surprise? Let me ask you this. Why would Jesus tell his boys to get into a boat knowing they were going to go into a storm? Because, very simply, Jesus teaches through the storm. 
Jesus uses storms in your life, in my life, to encourage us, to instill faith and hope in us. And in the midst of the storm, it would be necessary for us to place our faith and our hope in Jesus. If everything went swimmingly and there were no problems, it wouldn't be necessary to trust Jesus, to hope in Jesus, to seek Jesus in that moment. But Jesus sometimes knowingly puts you in a storm. Listen, when the storms of life come, when the, the, we're on social distancing and lockdown, God knew this storm was going to come. And I really believe that there are those that God did this for, especially for you, to get your attention, to, to teach you something in the storm, to encourage you. And for us that are hope dealers, we want to deal some hope to you today, that you can hope in Jesus. Jesus knows the storms of life are coming. He's not afraid of them. He's not in fear. He doesn't live in fear. And, and yet he's going to show up and do a miracle. And guess what's going to happen in, in our world today? Jesus is going to show up and do a miracle one way or another. Jesus is going to show up and touch lives. Jesus is going to show up and prove himself faithful. Promise. Promise that Jesus is going to be found faithful when the dust settles. That he is and will be and will remain faithful and trustworthy. And we can put our hope in Jesus. So he sends the boys out on the boat. He he sends the multitude away. Now, in context of where we are, Jesus had just fed um, the multitude. It was the feeding of the 5,000. And when he got done feeding them, there was this um, kind of uproar among the people of wanting to make Jesus a king, but not the type of king that he came to be on his first coming. He came to be a suffering servant. He came to be the king of the Jews who would die on a cross. When he comes back, he's going to be a king of kings and a lord of lords. He's going to rule and reign. And then he's going to set up his kingdom. But they were ready at the time to make him king. And so he dispersed the multitude and he sent the boys away. And primarily he sent them away to go into the storm because he was going to teach something in their lives. He was also protecting them from a false concept of who he was. And he didn't want any of them to catch this false idea that that Jesus was supposed to be king now. And so he sends them away. He sends the multitude away. In verse 23, look at it. And he set the multitude away and he went up on the mountain to take a nap. You think he would? He worked all day. He he fed 5,000 people. How, How much work is it to feed your own family? You know, he was physically exhausted and tired. It was a long day. And rather, it says he went up on a mountain, not to nap, to pray, to pray. Jesus said, come to you. In our next chapter, next verse, we're going to look, come to you if you're heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. I remember a pastor friend of mine telling a story of being um, away on a, on a conference trip with another pastor, and the other pastor snored really loud, and they were sharing a hotel room. And he says he just couldn't sleep and it was conference and they were teaching and, and they were both presenters and long days and stuff. And at night he was just tired and wanted to sleep and he couldn't sleep in the room he was sharing with this guy because he snored so loud. And he said he just pretty much prayed all night. And he said the next day they had a long day of events and he said I never felt better. He said the, 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 the rest that I received in prayer was much greater than I would have got from sleeping. Jesus said come to me and I'll give you rest. You know, I, I, I love to take my Sunday afternoon naps. That's like my tradition. I usually say during football season, what are you doing today? I'm watching football. Everybody knows what that means. That means I'm turning it on in the first quarter, and I hope I wake up by the fourth quarter to catch the, the last field goal. 
But you know what? I don't wake up super refreshed all the time. I wake up groggy and it takes a while to get going. But real rest, real joy, real strength comes in spending time with Jesus. And Jesus understood this concept. And I love that it's recorded here that he went to pray. Well, why did Jesus need to pray? He was God. He prayed first to set an example for you and I. And we're to be a people who pray. Super important. Something I've been encouraging our church in for a long time. The concept of literally and practically separating ourselves on a daily basis and spending some time in prayer. I want you to write it down. I do. I want you to make a note of it. I don't want it to go in one ear and out the other. What can you do tomorrow differently than what you did last week to become a church, a people, a person who spends time in prayer? Jesus said, go into your closet and close the door and don't let anybody know. You know, if you're a mighty prayer warrior and you spend all this time with the Lord, nobody around you would know that and they shouldn't. Because if you do it right, you went and you, you, you were alone during that time. I'll tell you how people will, will find you, though. You will get dimed out. Because when you get in a group and you begin to pray, it's going to translate. You know how you become a good prayer person in public? You pray a lot in private. And as you pray a lot in private, you get good at it. And then when you pray in public, people can hear, hey, that person knows Jesus. That person must be a prayer warrior. That person must spend time with Jesus. But we're, we're to be a people who pray. Then it says, um, and now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, so probably about three in the morning, the, the Jewish day, as we know, it went in three-hour sections, starting um, at 6 p.m. to 9, 9 to, to midnight, midnight to, to 3 in the morning. And so the fourth watch would have began at, at 3 a.m., going to 6 a.m. Um, so sometime deep in the middle of the night. Now, they're on the Sea of Galilee. And if you go to Israel with me or you have gone, um, you, you know that the Sea of Galilee is a lake. It's called the Sea of Galilee, but it's seven miles long or 13 miles long and seven miles wide there's pretty much not a place on the sea of galilee where you can't see all 360 degrees of the shore on the other side but yet the the way that it sets up when the winds come there's waves and storms upon the sea of galilee and they still that way today at certain seasons and certain times and so the wind was contrary and they wouldn't have had power boats you know they would have had um to row and 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 um row boats so the wind was contrary, and they're rowing away trying to, to get through the storm. And it says in verse 25, the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. They cried out for fear. They were afraid. Now, you know, I, I quoted a lot. We've been saying it a lot recently, right, that we're hope dealers that we've not been given a spirit of fear, but that of love and of power and of a sound mind. The Bible tells us 365 times not to fear. Repeated promise that we're not to be afraid, not to be afraid, not to have fear. And yet here we have the disciples who would understand these things and would be very close to Jesus. And what were they experiencing? Fear. You know, so I, I think it's natural. I think that all of us are going to be afraid at times. And at seasons, God wouldn't take um, that much time and that much energy 365 times to tell you not to be afraid if it wasn't a tendency that he knew that we were prone to. So we're going to be a people that naturally are going to tend to be afraid. And God's not mad at you for that. God's not judging you for that. God is encouraging you through that. But when you begin to face fear, 
when you're experiencing fear, that you put your hope in Jesus. And that's the biblical lesson. And, 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 and it's not that we can't have fear. We're going to experience fear. But I think we can't remain in fear. We can't stay a people who are afraid and that react and respond out of fear. Because we know that Jesus is going to come walking on the water. Now, you know, in the disciples' minds, I'm sure they're thinking, man, if, if Jesus is going to come, there's no way. Like, he's going to have to get another boat. He's going to, there's no way he'll be able to get to us. Like, not being able to understand that, that even miraculously, Jesus could show up in their situation. And guess what? Jesus miraculously can show up in your situation. And you may not understand how or where or why he's going to show up, but he will show up in your situation. And then it says, immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Be of good cheer. Okay, look at somebody in your room and say, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Listen, be of good cheer. And then why? What is the thing that, that gives us good cheer? He says it in the, next, in the next thing he says. It is I. Listen, it's the presence of God in your life that casts away fear. It's the presence of Jesus in your situation that gives you hope. So just ask yourself simply, is Jesus with you? Is Jesus nowhere or is Jesus now here? It's all perspective. He said, I'd never leave you nor forsake you. He told Moses, my presence go with you. Moses said, Lord, I want to see your face. God is here. You know, if you take God is nowhere and God is now here, same letters, just depends where you put your space. Do you put your space after the O? God is nowhere. If you just move your space one, move your W to the, to the left one, now the same sentence reads, God is now here. And what changed? Just our perspective. Just our outlook on life. That, that's the difference between fear and faith. Where do you put your space? Before, after the O or after the W? Is Jesus present in this situation? Is Jesus in our house, in our country, in our nation? Is he present? Is he going to let us face the wrath of God? No, he's not. Is he going to leave you hungry and starving to death? No, he's not. Is he going to leave you without toilet paper? Maybe. You'll, you'll, you're you're, you're uh, creative. You'll find other ways. I was raised on cloth diapers. <laughs> Maybe that's coming back. Cloth toilet paper. <laughs> oh, this world. You know what's so funny is just my, my prayer, my hope. My, my kind of plan always was before I ran out, everybody would chill out or they would have bought so much already that they, they couldn't buy anymore. They couldn't store anymore. And then I'd go to the store and be there. That's still my hope. I'm down to what I say? Twelve rolls. I'm about twelve rolls. Yeah, maybe 11 by now after this morning. But, how, yeah, have you guys seen those? Those are kind of cool. The toilet paper calculators online, those, that, that's a new thing now. Now you go online and what you find are toilet paper calculators to calculate how long your toilet paper will last. <laughs> Jesus, Hey, how do you know Jesus is coming soon? Because there's toilet paper calculators online. That's how you know Jesus is coming soon. I'm going to find the Bible in verse. I think it says in First Thessalonians somewhere about that. About how do you know Jesus is coming? Listen, listen, where are we at? In verse 20, um, 27, immediately Jesus spoke to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Hey, highlight that verse, 27. It's a good number anyways. God likes that number 27 for some reason. 
Maybe because it's my birthday, I don't know. But he likes the number 27. That's God's favorite number. And that's theology right there. You can find that in 1 Thessalonians 2. But chapter 27, I'm sorry, verse 27, be of good cheer. It is I. I'm here. I'm with you. Do not be afraid. And now Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So I think Peter was inspired by the Lord's um, saying, I am here. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. And I think Peter kind of gets excited and no longer is he afraid. And now he's like, cool, man, I can step out in faith. And he says, if it's you, tell me to come, bid me come. I mean, meaning let me walk on the water. He saw Jesus walking on the water and Jesus said to him, come. You know what Jesus says to you? Come. We're going to read the next verse I'm going to close with is in Matthew 11, where Jesus says, come to me if you're heavy, burdened, or laden, and I will give you rest. Come. Highlight the word come in your Bible. Write it down. Highlight it. Come. Jesus just says to me, come. Come to me. Come to me. Repeated many times in the Gospels and other places, this concept of coming to Jesus, coming to him in faith, coming to him with your life. And Jesus tells Peter, come. And as long as Jesus, as long as Peter keeps his eyes on Jesus, he's going to do something that nobody's ever done. You know, we're critical of Peter sometimes, or I hear pastors who are critical in this story of Peter, but I'm pretty sure none of them ever walked on water. I don't care how many steps he took. Yeah, he sank and all that. And, but at the same time, you know, we always say Jesus is the only one that walked on water. Well, technically that's not true. Jesus and Peter both walked on water. Jesus never sank. But it says, he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. I, I think of this scene literally. And what did this boat look like? It was a rowboat. I've seen them in Israel, what were possibly um, the boats of the time of Jesus. And there was no like flat area on the back that you stepped onto, like to get on your water skis, like we have on our ski boats. I mean, these would have been high sides and he would have had to climb over the side down to get out on the water. I'm sure there was a distance between what would have let him down onto the water like he would have had to land. But he lands and sticks. Boom. Because his eyes are on Jesus and he comes out of the boat. And he walked on the water to go to Jesus. So now here you have Peter walking on water. Amazing. In faith, miraculously, you and I, we can walk on water, so to speak. When we put our faith in Jesus, we keep our eyes on him, we can walk on water. We can beat coronavirus. We can, we can defeat the things in our lives that give us fear. And so he, he begins to walk on the water. And it says, but when he saw, verse 30, the wind and was boisterous and he was afraid. And now again, more fear. And what did the fear cause? And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him up and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind seized and those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, Truly, you are the son of God. The wind and the waves obey you. And they understood the power of God in Jesus and that he was God. And that he truly was God, the son of God. Now, it says, it says Jesus said, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and he begins to walk on the water. 
And then fear begins to grip his heart because he gets his eyes off of Jesus. And we know the story of Peter walking on the water. We know that the very skinny of the story is that when he keeps his eyes on Jesus, he walks on water. And when he takes his eyes off Jesus and he looks at the waves and the circumstances, then he, he's, he begins to sink and fear begins to grip his heart again. And fear is a liar. And fear is a liar. So the, the simple lesson of Jesus walking on the water in the times that we have, or more importantly, I think in this story is Peter walking on the water, because that's who we're focused on, is keep your eyes on Jesus. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, you won't be afraid. You won't have fear. You won't sink. But as soon as you look at the circumstances, the problems, the, the things, and you focus on those things, I don't know, maybe for a season it's time to turn off and stop reading the articles and stop reading the news. And, you know, I, I, I stay up. I'm a person who tries to stay informed and stay updated, and I read a lot. And it's funny because one guy curses by it and another guy curses at it. And I read one article that, oh, the contagion is really not that high. And then I read and then I close that article and I open another article and it says, oh, the contagion is the highest that's ever been in human history. And they're both doctors with these big letters after their names that are, you know, and I, I just... I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Every article that I read that says, man, take this really, really, really seriously, I read another one that says completely the opposite. You know, we're just in a place where we're going to live by caution. If, we, if we're overcautious, it, it just we can't lose in the end. We're going to continue to do life. We're not going to be afraid. And we're going to practice safe, safe practices, social distancing. We're going to do those things for a season. But we're not afraid. And, and, and we don't know. This could be really, really bad. It, it could blow over. I'm not the doctor. I'm not the scientist. And every doctor and scientist that I read tells me three different things. So, But my eyes are on Jesus regardless of what's going to happen, regardless of the outcome, regardless which side is right. My eyes remain on Jesus. And the promise I'll give you today is when your eyes remain on Jesus, you won't sink. You'll walk on water. Amen? Hey, so that was hope. And it took hope in this story for them to put their hope in Jesus. And again, we have to be hope dealers. So now as we get the last one, let's turn back a couple pages to Matthew chapter 11. And I want to close with this. So we did faith, hope, and now love. And so this last one is, is a story of love. And I find love in this story. I find the compassion of Jesus to you and I extending an invitation for you to come to him when life is hard. Jesus said in John chapter 14, one of my favorite verses, the day before he was going to die on a cross, the disciples didn't intellectually begin to understand fully until after Jesus died and rose again that he had told them so many times he was going to the cross. But on this particular day, something emotional was, was stirring in them. And they did feel something different about this time they were living in. And though intellectually, again, the disciples just wouldn't receive the fact that Jesus told them over and over again. But on this particular day, the worst day of their lives, they did begin to feel and to understand that something was different. And they came and Jesus said to his disciples on this day, right before he's going to die on the cross, let not your hearts be troubled. You believed in God, believe also in me. And that's what Jesus says to us. Let not your hearts be troubled. And here we're going to see a place in Matthew earlier in Jesus's ministry where, where he's dealing with the same thing. If, you, if you're heavy, heavy laden and burdened, come to me and I'll give you rest. Let's look at a story. Um, you know the scripture. It says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In verse 25, the story goes, at that time, 
Jesus answered and said, hey, what is the what are the first three words of 25 at that time? What time? The time they were in. I want to tell you this at this time. At this time, Jesus knows the time he knew the disciples were going into a storm. Job chapter one, as Job begins for a time as this on this day, it says in Job chapter one in this time, Job's life was great all the way leading up to this, this moment. But God knew, and Job said, on this day, something would change. How many of you guys predicted we would be sitting here today? None of us. James tells us, you know, in the section where James says, um, says don't, don't just say, hey, tomorrow I'm going to go here and go there. But if the Lord wills, it's the same concept. It's a Bible concept that you don't know what tomorrow brings. You don't know what tomorrow brings. But God says, regardless if you know what tomorrow brings or not, you can still trust me. I'll be with you. I'll be with you today. I'll be with you tomorrow. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And I will be with you. Now, look. um, So at this time, verse 25, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it has seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my father and no one knows them except the father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So just in skinny right there, Jesus is the way to the Father. And you can't say that you're going to heaven or that you know God if you don't know Jesus. Jesus is your way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And then in verse 28, he says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, what what, what do you think it is, you guys, that is our burden? What is it that has us heavy laden? You know, usually it's it's our desire to bring happiness into our lives. We have this burden of, of making ourselves happy, of finding joy in life. How much money would it take to make you happy? A million dollars? Today's standard, a million dollars is what it used to be. Ten million dollars. You know the guy with ten million dollars? You know what he says? Oh, man, I have enough. Life is great. I just knew when I got to ten million, it'd be great. No. How much money is enough? Let me give you the answer to how much money is going to make you happy. I got it. Write it down. This is how much money is going to make you happy. A little bit more than you currently have. And when you get more, guess what the answer is going to be? A little bit more than you currently have. I know billionaires and multi-billionaires who never have enough. You know, I know a guy who set out, a friend of mine, to make a million dollars. And when he made his first million, his life was falling apart. His wife was falling apart. He was working his tail off. His marriage was falling apart. And he said, oh, man, if I, if I just can get two million, then I'll, then I'll settle down. He got to two million dollars. And guess what happened when he got there? He said, man, okay, if I just get to three, then I can chill. By the grace of God, he's not in that rat race anymore, and God's getting a hold of his heart, and he's got a new perspective, praise God. But just that, that concept for, for him, for us, for all of us, that money's not going to do it, money's not going to make you happy. But this pursuit of making ourselves happy, it's a burden that we have. And, and then Jesus said, take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What was Jesus' burden? Jesus said, all that I do, I do to please the Father. He said, I don't do anything that the Father hasn't told me. 
that everything that Jesus did was to please his father, was to honor his father. I must be about my father's business, Jesus said. So his burden was constantly to be doing the will of the father. And what Jesus is saying in this section is that his will and doing God's will is better than doing your own will. God's burden of pleasing God and not trying to please yourself is how you're going to find your happiness. You follow that? So instead of this burden that we have of trying to make ourselves happy, let's change that with God's yoke, with Jesus's yoke. Let's put his yoke on us because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And his burden is to do those things that please the father. Here's what you're going to find. If you live your life to do those things that please God, you're going to find the joy and happiness that you lack. You're going to find the very thing that you're looking for in Jesus. And we keep Jesus to the side because we think that if we pull him in, we're going to lose privileges and happiness and and opportunities. And Jesus said it's completely opposite. Rather than put Jesus to the side so you can find those things, Jesus says, put me in the center and I'll give you those things. Amen? Amen. So let Jesus be the center of our lives and you're going to find happiness. Jesus took the entire concept and he turned it on his head. And he said, if you lose your life, you'll find it. But if you try to keep your life, you'll lose it. And in the process of trying to keep the things that are dear to you, you're going to lose your life. Jesus said, let it go. It's so much easier just to let go and let Jesus take your life. Do the things in your life every day that it please the Father. And as we desire to please the Father, we're going to find pleasure and happiness. We're going to find burdens and yokes. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you guys believe that? This was the the crux of last week's message, was that we were taking all these promises. Listen, I've been hearing pastors all over the nation, all over the world, who are coming out on on Facebook and, and sharing scriptures. And every time I hear one, I'm like, Oh, man, that's such a good encouragement. That's such a good hope. That's such a good place in the Bible to to teach and to encourage folks. And then I hear another pastor, and he's in a completely different place. And I'm like, oh, wow, that one's cool, too. Like that's. And before you know it, I've listened to like 12, 15 different guys. And I'm, I'm like, chill out. The whole Bible is full of hope. It's like there's no right or wrong. I mean, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm learning even in myself is that, man, you, you could probably go like this. And you're going to find something. You're going to find some. It's full. The Bible is full of hope and joy and love, faith, hope, and love in Jesus. So many good places. Read through the Psalms. Read through so many places and all over the Word of God that we're going to find encouragement and just amazing scriptures. For me personally, the one I'm recommending is Psalm 91. Jay read it last week, and I told Jay just to read a scripture, and that's the scripture that God gave him. And before he did that, I was going to read Psalm 91 because it just seemed like everywhere I turned the last couple of weeks, I was running into Psalm 91. So and then, and then Jay comes up, he confirms it through just the, the Lord leading him the same way he led me. And, and it's been everywhere. There's great Psalms out there. There's great stuff. People are doing different things. But for us, for me, the one that I really kind of hung my hat on this week was Psalm 91. So I encourage you in that one. Meditate on that this week. Hey, we're wrapping up and I want to wrap up with this thought. I'm going to close with this. So again, faith, hope, and love. To put our faith, hope, and love in Jesus. Love is, love is presence. We talked about hope is, is Jesus' presence in the boat situation. Love is no different. Love is the presence of God in our lives. Letting and, and bringing God into the love of our lives. Listen, you're all contagious. You're all carrying something. What are you carrying? I hope it's not the coronavirus. I'm praying, we're really praying that God is going to defeat it. Let's pray it right now. 
Before I close, Jesus, I pray that you would defeat, in Jesus' name, the coronavirus. God, that you would thwart it, stop it in its plan. If it's on any surface in the world right now, contaminating, waiting for somebody to touch, come by with with your God hand sanitizer, Jesus, and miraculously wipe it out. Lord, we're praying for, for miracles of healing over the coronavirus, God, because you can do it, God. You can heal and stop this threat in its tracks because it's not your will. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Now, listen, we, we again, this is what I want to share with you guys today. I'm going to close with this. Let's spread hope. Let's, let's deal hope. Let's spread faith. And, and let's be people that love. Let's be love givers. Let's be hope dealers. Let's be faith spreaders. Because what you have is contagious. And how you carry yourself, how you present yourself to people around you, they're going to catch what you have. And is what you have, is it, is it, do you want the people around you to catch it? What you have, would it be good if the people in your life caught what you have? And if not, then change what you have. And, and, and start dealing hope and love and faith into people's lives. You know what? There's enough fear out there. Let's not be fear dealers. Fear is a liar. Let's be faith dealers. Let's be hope dealers. Let's be faith spreaders, hope dealers, and love givers. Amen? Amen. Spread a little joy. Spread a little of that in your life this week. Amen? Amen. Hey, uh, love you. The Lord loves you. And again, I want to pray and I want to say that Jesus said, last thing, last cry out to the online audience is that um, I want to give you another opportunity. Maybe you missed it the first time. We want to give you an opportunity before we close today to get your hearts and lives right with Jesus. I personally, when I got saved, I was watching a TV screen. It was like a 13-inch TV. It was... um, Dr. Charles Stanley, it was in 1994 in March, I was in my room alone watching a screen and I heard Dr. Charles Stanley preaching a message. I was at a place in my life where I would never listen to a preacher or a pastor. I was all kinds of messed up in the world. I didn't grow up in a Christian home and, and, and drugs and alcohol and lifestyles of that had, had fully had a hold of my life. I was 21 years old, 20 years old, and, and I'm flipping channels. And, and I stop on a weird channel. It was like Channel 8 at the time, which in L.A. when I grew up, we didn't have a Channel 8. We had 2, 4, 5, 7, 11, 13. And on Channel 8, I would have never stopped. And I stopped. Some, for some reason, I stopped and I started listening. 30 minutes later, I listened to this message. And on the TV screen, looking at a TV screen alone in my room, Dr. Charles Stanley said, Do you want to receive Jesus in your heart to be your Lord and Savior? If you do, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And I locked my hands. And my hands got out like this and I was laying on my back on my bed and tears began to stream down my face and the Holy Spirit of God came into my life as I prayed this prayer to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior to repent of my sins. So God can meet you right where you are. So I want to give you this opportunity in Jesus name to say this prayer with me of faith and and ask Jesus in your heart. There's no magic in the words. The words don't make it happen. If you surrender your heart and life to Jesus, that's where the magic happens. And if you mean this in your heart, God's going to meet you. I will pray that, that you would have emotional conversion, emotional experience, and that you would feel God's Holy Spirit on you right now. So whether you feel that or not, it's a matter of faith. You have to go out and look at the pole, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, as he told those in, in the Old Testament to look on the pole in faith and they'll be healed. So you look to Jesus by faith and God is going to heal you. But if you're out there today and you want to get your life right with Jesus, if you're afraid, if you want to know that the power of God and the protection of God is over your life, you know, everybody says that we're the children of God. They love this phrase, the children of God. 
But, you know, if we're being honest, you're not a child of God unless you are a child of God. You're not a child of God by birth. You're a child of God by being born again. Because the Bible says that to be a child of God is is for us to be born again. And if you want to be a child of God, pray this prayer with me. If you want to surrender your life and give your heart to Jesus, pray with me now together. Let's pray together. You can fold your hands or however you want to do it. And let's pray together online everywhere. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. I realize I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Doesn't make me a bad person, but I need to be born again. I must be born again. Jesus, I want to be born again by faith and believing that Jesus died on a cross and rose again the third day. Jesus, I surrender my heart and life to you. I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want you to be the Lord of my life. You promised to take away my burdens and my fears. Jesus, take away my fear. Jesus, help me put my trust in you. I give you all of my life. I surrender all to you. I believe you died on a cross and rose again the third day. And I ask you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Amen.